Thank you for listening to Data Science at Home podcast with Francesco Gadaletta. You are about to get cutting edge insights from the people who are reshaping the world of technology with machine learning, data science, and artificial intelligence. It's time for Data Science at Home. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm your host, Francesco, podcasting from the regular office of Leuven in Belgium. In this episode, I would like to speak about uh, something that is uh, very, very interesting and very important for uh, not only Python developers, uh, but also for uh, developers who build the libraries that we use on a daily basis or data scientists use on a daily basis. The um, enormous ecosystem of uh, uh, you know the Python uh, data ecosystem, in fact, uh, that now is composed of uh, a number of libraries that make our life much easier uh, and uh, much more productive. And I'm speaking about all the data manipulation libraries uh, from, uh, of course, the most famous ones and the most used ones like NumPy, uh, but also Pandas, Modin, Ibis, PyTorch, if you move to the, uh, to the deep learning world, uh, but of course, uh, TensorFlow as well, JAX, um, X-Array, uh, I, can, I can go on and on, in fact, uh, the, the list is, uh, is, uh, is never ending. Uh, now, what is common in all these libraries is that, well, they manipulate data. And the problem of manipulating data is that they have their own internal representation of data. Uh, and so when you think about an array or a data frame, for example, or a Panda series, uh, that is the equivalent of, uh, uh, of an array in low level terms, uh, well, the thing, the problem there is that all these libraries uh, implement these things their own way. And also the APIs that they, uh, that is the way they expose these functionalities to the user can differ in a number of terms. For example, the names of the methods that you are calling or the arguments that you pass uh, through these methods, um, not to mention, of course, the internal representation of the data, but that's a bit much less important with respect to, um, you know, the signatures of the methods that you usually call uh, and how you use, in fact, these libraries. And the major problem uh, when you are dealing with, you know, such a diverse and rich ecosystem is that, well, it's very difficult to move from one library to the other. Uh, not to mention that uh, some functionality is, uh, uh, for example, very well documented on some libraries and probably doesn't exist in other libraries. Uh, and so you can imagine that transitioning is, uh, is kind of a painful process. Uh, and so there is a consortium that um, has been formed very recently, uh, which is taking care of this, uh, which is setting the, you know, paving the way to a standardization of uh, the Python array. And uh, this, I believe, is a very important initiative uh, that many should adhere. I hope that we will see uh, more and more organizations sponsoring this initi initiative uh, because it's very important to maintain standards and, of course, make them open. Um, not to mention, uh, this will uh, definitely make the life of developers uh, much easier and also the life of the end users, uh, who are still developers, by the way, <laughs> uh, because they can, in fact, perform any transition from, you know, back and forth from any libraries at ease. Now, 
what is this episode about? The, there is this consortium for the so-called Python Data API standards. And uh, the objective um, of this, uh, you know, the goal of this consortium is to, uh, in fact, remove or mitigate the fragmentation uh, that I just mentioned by developing API standards for arrays. Now, why arrays? Arrays are, in fact, the kind of the basic block for any uh, data-intensive operation. And if you want to uh, find the common denominator across all libraries, not only, but also across pretty much all operations in data science and machine learning, uh, the array is, in fact, the, uh, the basic or the common components that all these libraries share. So once there is an API and a standard for arrays, in fact, a lot of the other operations that are so-called array derivatives can be improved and can, can also enjoy that standard um, and make our life easier. Think about data frames. Data frames are, in fact, a bunch of arrays, right? It's uh, In the Rust world, a data frame is a vector of... Uh, I would say columns, and the column can be an array or a chunked array, depending on how you represent the uh, array component internally. Uh, so let's uh, go deep into the description of this, what this API is doing and, uh, uh, and what's going on there. Um, now, one thing that I would like to, uh, you know, the take home message from this uh, episode is, of course, not to exhaustively explain the API. Um, the standard of which uh, will be reported in the show notes of this episode at the usual website, datasciencesatome.com. Uh, but in fact, it's to give you a kind of a relatively complete flavor of what is the effort uh, in order to have an API standard and what in fact is an API standard. So the scope of uh, this initiative is to pave the way to the standardization of, uh, uh, for example, function names, methods, classes, and other objects that data scientists and the machine learning practitioners use on a daily basis. Uh, think about functions, signatures, including type annotations whenever uh, these are required or are allowed. In uh, Python, they are allowed, Python 3.8, of course, and um, the problem is that nobody's using them and nobody's enforcing this, uh, this type annotation. So they are, in my opinion, doing more hurt than good, but that's a different topic. Uh, as a matter of fact, a type annotation is important because it defines the signature of a method uh, uniquely and, uh, and, uh, and strictly, in fact. Now, there are some uh, languages that are born or designed, that have been designed with uh, strict type annotations, um, strict typing in, uh, in mind, and so it, it's part of the grammar of these languages. In Python, this is not the case, of course, uh, I would say, unfortunately, because Python is a nice language under, uh, for certain aspects and uh, a terrible one uh, for other aspects. And type annotations or strictly ty strict typing is one of them. Um, again, this is a personal opinion uh, due to the fact that I am uh, currently coding you know, in Python and in Rust, uh, which are you know, kind of the two extremes. 
I personally come from C, so I'm, I was very used to the strict typing, uh, but f I've abandoned C for a while. Uh, at least, you know, my career took another direction, and so Python became the language I was, I became the most familiar with, um, and also the one that I've been uh, using for the last decade or more. And um, but in fact, you know, this doesn't really change the scope of the API standard, regardless. Um, another um, another objective that is part of you know defining an API standard is uh, about casting rules and broadcasting and indexing. And this is these are typical operations that you perform. Um, probably you have performed these things in, in Pandas, for example, when you want to broadcast values in a range of, uh, um, of a certain column or a data frame, uh, or you want to index an array, or you want to uh, perform some sort of casting rules, which means, you know, the conversion from one type to the other. Now, there must be, some well-defined semantics when you do these operations and these semantics should be documented and should be uh, you know standardized um, one probably one of the most important aspects of defining a, an api is about data interchange uh, for example all the protocols that convert one type of array into another type uh, and this happens, you know, depending on the language and depending on the implementation, it can have a very different um, uh, backend, so to speak, or, 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 you know, the way you, you perform this data interchange can, can be very, very different. But essentially, when you are dealing with multiple libraries uh, or you want to perform a transition from one library to the other, well, data interchange becomes, as you can understand, one of the most important uh, operations that uh, you would like to be supported. And finally, speaking of support, device support. Uh, we are seeing more and more the GPU component playing a fundamental role in uh, everyday computation. Uh, you know, new generation laptops, even mobile phones are equipped with uh, a GPU. And uh, most of the times GPUs are in fact part of our computation when it comes to machine learning, not just deep learning, but you know, whenever there is a, an iterative method or a batching algorithm or a, a function optimization, you can leverage the GPU power. And of course, also there you can manipulate arrays uh, on different devices different devices than the, the CPU, the central processing unit. Uh, definitely what is not in the scope for an API standard um, is the implementation. So whatever is related to the implementation uh, should stay out of scope. And that makes sense because, uh, as I said, every language has its own properties and its own ways to uh, represent data structures internally. Uh, and so the array is, in fact, one of the many possible data structures that you can be manipulating in machine learning, but in, com in computer programming in general. And so, of course, the API standard cannot take care of the implementation of the uh, of the single language because that would not be um, uh, feasible and also uh, you know it would not be helpful anyway uh, it's also out of scope the so-called execution semantics and this includes for example when you are performing a single threaded operation or a parallel operation or you are scheduling tasks or synchronizing tasks 
or for example uh, eager versus lazy or delayed evaluation think about uh, the way pandas work and the way dask work right um, so these are uh, for the record dask uh, performs so-called lazy computation which means it um, you know for each operation on arrays data frames and and uh, and, uh, and series and stuff, uh, it creates a graph, a computational graph, but in fact, it doesn't calculate anything. It will calculate once everything has been defined and the graph so can be optimized. And then you, let's say, virtually press a button and uh, that graph is in fact uh, computed. Uh, in contrast, pandas uh, calculates immediately. So there is no graph in, uh, in pandas. And so when you perform an operation on an array, uh, that operation is performed uh, immediately. Now, these differences and uh, these semantics behind uh, this paradigm of computations uh, are definitely out of scope of any uh, API standard. As more and more big tech companies buy to collect your data, it is a challenge to protect your privacy. Proton is creating tools that give you control of your data. As part of our Black Friday sale, you can get Proton Mail and Proton VPN for up to 50% off. Proton Mail protects your inbox from surveillance and abuse, and Proton VPN protects your internet activity, unblocks content, and masks your location from the websites you visit. If you select a bundle plan, you will also get early access to Proton Drive, its end-to-end -end encrypted cloud storage service for free. This is our only promotion of the year, so it is your best chance to upgrade your privacy. Click on the link in the show notes of this episode or go to protonmail.com slash data science and get 50% off a two-year-plus plan bundle. That's protonmail.com slash data science for 50% off ProtonMail and ProtonVPN. Now, since this is a, a Python array API standard, for obvious reasons, uh, non-Python API standardization is out of scope. And this is also another important point to, to make, though we are seeing uh, more and more languages involved in uh, uh, kind of everyday computation in machine learning, probably many times without us knowing it. For example, many times we use Python. Uh, in fact, Python is calling um, another, you know, core uh, library, probably written in C. Uh, so there is below, there is a C API that uh, Python is actually using. And so it's exposing an, a C implementation to you as a Python binding. And so, of course, that also is, you know, the C API or the C implementation uh, in the C language implementation uh, should not and would not be a part of, you know, in scope of this API standard. It's also out of scope uh, standardization of uh, data types. Um, not all data types, so primitive data types are definitely uh, covered by the API standard, but uh, complex data types or, uh, for example, uh, bfloat16, complex, uh, date, time, string, object, void data types or d-types, uh, they are also not included in, uh, in the API, in the Python array API standard. Uh, honestly, it's a pity that date, time, and string are not included. Uh, there are architectural reasons why uh, that's the case but in fact in my humble opinion uh, strings and date time uh, 
should be included somehow because they usually belong to, uh, I would say, a very large chunk of the computations that we perform when it comes to uh, data science and machine learning. But of course, the Python Array API is not only related to machine learning and uh, artificial intelligence or data science, it's a more a generic way of standardizing things. And so probably the authors or the members of the consortium have already reasoned enough on that point. So what are the goals for the API standard? Well, uh, the goals, uh, some of them already mentioned, are to make it possible for um, so-called array-consuming libraries, which are all the libraries that use the concept of array, uh, to start using multiple types of arrays as inputs. And uh, this, I don't know, I don't know about you guys, but in my case, uh, that happens pretty much every day. Uh, so when I move, for example, in one project, uh, it happens that I have, for example, I'm dealing with NumPy arrays, uh, tensors from PyTorch, um, maybe uh, some other array from uh, manipulated by uh, scikit-learn um, or scipy uh, when I use some statistical functions. And so as it, only in this sentence, there are three different libraries that manipulate arrays in three different ways. And so you can imagine the headaches that I usually have whenever I have to deal with three libraries at once. The second goal is to enable more sharing and reuse of code that is built on top of the core functionality in the API standard. Uh, and uh, more sharing means uh, you know, code reusage and, and, and sharing in terms of code, of course. It means um, having a library that is less prone to human error and also much more consistent than we expect. Uh, because of course that you might find inconsistencies um, when you switch from one library to the other or as in my case, but I believe uh, it's your case as well, uh, when you deal with more than two, three, four or five libraries at once, you know, in the same, even in the same module, in fact. <laughs> um, and uh, the third recipient of this uh, API standard uh, is definitely authors of new array libraries. And so when these folks have a concrete API that can be adopted as is, uh, you know, implementing these array libraries is gonna become much easier for them and at the same time is gonna become much more consistent. So these folks, these authors, who most of the time are dealing with open source software where standards are, you know, not always enforced um, because, you know, a lot of people want to take initiative or they started a new library out of the blue, sometimes without even, you know, uh, make, getting some familiarity with what is there uh, and what, what should be standard, what should be the, that name of function or that name number of arguments to pass to that functions or that type of arguments to pass to that functions and so on. And so providing an API is in fact providing the kind of a guide for um, uh, authors of new libraries, array libraries, uh, in order to develop consistent software. Um, and finally, making the learning curve for users less steep uh, whenever they have to switch from one array library to another one. And this is something that all data scientists face on a daily basis. Now, the, the, the good ones or the ones that deal with these library or implementations 
all the time. Of course, they have learned <laughs> how things change from one library to the other. But newcomers, well, there, are, there, there will be a learning curve that is quite steep, I must say, especially at the beginning, because, uh, for example, what is called N underscore jobs in one library is called workers in another library. And you know what I'm talking about. And I can mention many, many other inconsistencies to represent exactly the same functionality. Who are the stakeholders? Well, arrays are fundamental data structures to uh, scientific computing, uh, machine learning, deep learning, data science, uh, and in fact, pretty much anyone who is dealing with data, right? It's the, as I said, is one of the most used components or data structure that you might think of. Uh, and so there are a lot of stakeholders for an array API standard. A lot of people would definitely benefit from it. While we have seen the Python ecosystem getting bigger and bigger, and here I can mention libraries like NumPy, TensorFlow, PyTorch, JAX, MXNet, Dask, QPy, and many more, uh, there are also other um, so-called array-consuming libraries like Pandas, SciPy, Scikit-Learn, uh, Scikit-Image, and many other in biology or computational biology that use the same Scikit-something. Um, now, this network acts for uh, graph manipulation. You know, all these uh, libraries are not directly implementing the concept of the array, but they are using it. And so the, that's why they are called array-consuming libraries, because they are built on top of the, the first one that I mentioned, NumPy in particular. And then there is an ecosystem that we are seeing uh, growing uh, in other languages. Um, for example, XND, uh, that's a C language implementation uh, that is uh, um, uh, also, you know, manipulating arrays. Uh, we have uh, array, uh, that is double R, uh, a, Y, uh, written in R, in the R programming language. Um, and of course, there is Rust and the array, which is the Rust implementation of the array. Uh, I must say, very, very uh, doc well documented uh, with a lot of examples. I'm playing with it very, very often. Uh, and, the, and many more, for example, in C++ or JavaScript or on the JVM or C Sharp, there are, uh, you know, every language pretty much has uh, an implementation that takes advantage of the concept of the array or they have taken inspiration from the NumPy or other libraries that uh, uh, have seen the light in Python first. So as you can see, as the ecosystem becomes richer and more diverse, uh, there is definitely the necessity to uh, set up a, uh, an API standard. I think that this is uh, one of those few initiatives that uh, will make history in the, in the field of computer science and, uh, and in particular uh, scientific computing. Uh, we have seen this many times, of course, in the history of computer science, uh, and API and standardization are never, ever bad, especially when they are well-designed and well-documented. The first version of the Python Array API standard is, I must say, quite complete to be a first version, and uh, of course I will uh, report the uh, 
three most important links uh, in the show notes of this episode uh, so that you can have a look at the uh, entire um, you know uh, documentation and uh, it's actually very nice to read um, it's very very simple I find it uh, you know if you are familiar with Python or if you use these tools on a daily basis reading that documentation is absolutely uh, a piece of cake uh, due to the fact that there is no uh, implementation details well the concept of a Python array API or an array API standard in general is indeed not to uh, discuss the implementation details but with that you know the the read is going to be uh, quite relaxed I must say and uh, there are many points that are uh, that you know you will see in front of you all together and uh, and you will start you know having the wow moment uh, depending on your humor <laughs> there are different concepts that um, the authors of the first version of the API standard have been uh, touching on uh, one in particular is about the uh, copy view behavior and mutability uh, due to the fact that this is a typical python condition um, that is array implementations like numpy or pytorch uh, but also uh, mxnet for example uh, typically have the concept of the view and the view is in fact an array that contains data in a memory location that in fact belongs to another array okay and and now the problem is that when you think about um highly performant operations uh, when you don't when you do not copy data to a new location well that will save you memory uh, of course it is much faster than copying uh, but also will change quite dramatically the semantics of the code uh, for example, uh, if your views are combined with uh, mutating operations, well, then you are touching a very hot spot there. <laughs> because what happens when you have a view that can mutate the array? Uh, well, it means that you are creating references to that array, and these references can mutate the same thing, which means that the other references can find the array in an inconsistent state, right? So that's the problem of... Uh, uh, of copy um, copy view uh, behavior and mutability. Now, this is a typical Python problem, right? Uh, this is not a problem at all in Rust, for example, uh, or in other languages, uh, probably Haskell, but who uses Haskell for data science? <laughs> well, anyway, uh, in Rust, for example, there is the concept of uh, you know the concept of mutability is so explicit um, that um, making uh, per performing a copy on write semantics or read only views is you know embedded in the language kind of by design um, this however these two concepts like copy on write and uh, read only views are very hard to implement in languages like python and uh, and also there could be, you know, if you start implementing these things now, uh, you might find or you might end up with uh, backward compatibility issues, which means that, uh, you know, your library starts behaving differently than what it has been doing so far, uh, you know, because you are changing the semantics of the, of the mutating operator. 
Um, one of the other most important concepts that uh, is covered in the API standard is so-called data interchange mechanism. And uh, this is something that I believe is probably the most important one, the most important concept, uh, because it describes, um, you know, the way, the mechanism, uh, data access occurs via a protocol um, that not only describes the memory layout of the array uh, in an implementation independent fashion, but it also provides a standard for um, for device interchange. Uh, so it must be part, you know, when you are uh, dealing with CPU and GPU or CPU only and GPU only or multiple device array types, uh, well, that uh, there must be a data interchange mechanism that describes that data exchange uh, between, uh, you know, among devices uh, in a standard way. Right, and this is happening all the time. For example, when you deal with PyTorch, uh, it's so explicit also in PyTorch to send computation uh, on a particular layer or even on a single operation uh, directly to the GPU or the next line of code, you are sending it to the CPU or to another GPU if you have more than one GPUs on the same machine and so on. So you would like to have these things described uh, in a very, very uh, specified way. Uh, and that's exactly what the data interchange mechanism mechanism covers uh, from a, an array API standard. Another one is uh, the zero copy semantics, uh, wherever possible, uh, that is making a copy only if needed. And uh, usually when data is not contiguous in memory, not to mention support for all data types provided by the API standard that can change across devices. And so, uh, you have to say, you, uh, once you, you are dealing with multiple devices, for example, uh, you would like to uh, have a clue of uh, all the data types you were using on one device, if they are still supported or still exist in the other device. And so this is something that, again, uh, has to be documented and standardized. Uh, last but not least, there is the concept of parallelism. Um, that is kind of an execution problem or a runtime issue rather than an API concern. And so unfortunately, this is not part of the API standard uh, because it's uh, kind of related to the execution. Uh, and so, you know, as I said before, everything that is related to implementation or execution semantics should stay out of scope for any uh, of any API standard. Now, really, last but not least, there is a, uh, a module, well, a Python package that uh, the uh, members of the consortium have been uh, designing and implementing and also uh, publishing on a GitHub uh, repo, the link of which will also be reported in the show notes of this episode at datascienceathome.com uh, is called the Python Record API. And essentially what this module does is understanding, well, is helping you understand how a Python module is being used by other modules. And how does you do that? Well, by logging all the function calls from a certain module or when, uh, or for example, when we run PyTest uh, from a specified module to another module. So essentially what it does, it, um, it adds a trace uh, around each test um, and creates a JSON file uh, with one line per call 
Then they use a group by function and arguments uh, and starts counting how many lines had that call. Once, you have, once they have this grouped output and create the JSON file uh, with inferred API, what happens is that they record how many calls to this function happened from that API. And so you can actually generate the mock APIs for the library that you were tracing. Now, the goal of this package is to uh, give a human being a sense of how different APIs are used in Python data science libraries so that, you know, one can have some, first of all, data to back up decisions and also, you know, helping out in creating future APIs. Because if I start seeing things that are used most of the time, well, then I might consider that option as a standard if I see that's happening almost all the time, right? Not only that, but it also lets us understand what exact functions are called and the ways in which they are called, including type and values of their arguments. So, you know, this is, a, a, this is only the beginning, of course. Uh, the uh, Python Array API standard is very young. It's just, uh, it has just been published. Um, and so it's only the first version. Definitely a lot of room for improvement. And, uh, uh, of course, to consolidate many of the ideas and the concepts that are in there. I highly recommend to have a read uh, of this initial version. And also playing a bit with the uh, Python record API, uh, which is the module uh, for, you know, tracing your application, um, tracing your, uh, your, your function calls, uh, as I just said. Um, just bear in mind that it's only supported on Python 3.8, but that should not be a problem, I suppose, because Python 3.8, I'm seeing it uh, became, becoming kind of the de facto standard in uh, many uh, machine learning and data science uh, projects. That's it for today. Uh, as always, I uh, recommend you to drop by our Discord channel. It's where we uh, usually have a chat about uh, all things machine learning and data science. Uh, it would be very nice to have you there. Um, definitely helpful to get some ideas about uh, uh, previous episodes and why not even the next topic that you would like me to speak in the near future. I'll see you there. You've been listening to Data Science at Home Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new, fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.